Welcome to Benefits, What Like It's Hard? The podcast that breaks down the truths and misconceptions about all things benefits. Not only do we talk about what you should know about the benefits offered to you through your employer, but we also tackle topics on physical and financial wellness. I mean, come on, what more could you want from a podcast? Join me, Libby Allison, each week to hear from people just like you sharing their own experiences and experts giving us the inside scoop on the information we need to be successful. Today, we have another financial wellness topic, and we have our friend, Jen Daly, back on the podcast. Hi, Jen. Hi, Libby. Can you introduce what we're going to be talking about today? And we have a new special guest, so I'd love for you to introduce him as well. Absolutely. Thank you for having us on the show. And first, I want to say congratulations on your 100th episode a few weeks ago. Thank you. So exciting. Yes. Yeah, you are doing great work. So that's that's a huge milestone. That's very impressive. So what I want to talk about today is something I've just been thinking about for a while. I work with companies on their retirement plans, and I also meet with participants to help them figure out how much they need to save for retirement. And of course, I follow all the financial news. And I noticed that when I'm following the news, there's always a lot of headlines that try to grab your attention. Of course, we would probably call them clickbait. And they say things like, you know, buying expensive coffee every day makes you an irresponsible spender. Or if you didn't waste your money on avocado toast, you could buy a house. (laughs) And I'm exaggerating. But there's this idea that these uh, news stories just have this little nugget of information. So I'm thinking to myself, is this good financial advice? So if I'm someone who doesn't work in a field and maybe it's just starting out thinking about financial topics and how to manage my own money, do these type of articles help me? And especially from my perspective, does it help you think about how to be prepared for retirement? And so I asked Nick Groman to join us today. He's the director of financial planning at Haran. And he works with people to develop their long-term financial plans. So here's what Nick and I want people to know if they're new to making money decisions. If you get the big things right, you can drink the coffee. And so, Nick, thank you for joining us. And what I want you to start us out with is tell us what are the big things that people need to get right about money. No problem. Jen and Libby, thank you for having me on today. Again, congrats on the 100th episode as well. Um, 100 down and 100,000 more to go, right? But uh, <laughs> we had, right. So um, this topic is something that I'm really passionate about, especially as we see more of a shift with baby boomers and millennials um, as far as a typical investor and what people today in that age range of 20 to 40 are really kind of looking at and tackling. And Eugene, you're right. You always see the headlines of expensive coffee, avocado toast, and all these different kind of small knickknacks that you can do to change your financial outcome. But those are small tidbits that sure may help, but a lot of those articles really miss the key underlying points of what sets the foundation for a long-term financial plan. So there's a couple key things that I want to make sure that everyone always has in the back of their mind to start down this process when they're uh, looking to set up and review, review their financial plan or if they're 
a young professional or even somebody that's later on in life. This is something that always needs to be revisited to make sure that you have a long-term strategy and success in mind. So the first big thing um, is getting a sense of just your spending and tracking your spending. This is often one of the hardest pieces for people, especially young professionals, uh, to really comprehend and really track in the best way possible. And that's because a lot of people nowadays have a multitude of competing financial priorities. There's student loan debt, there's buying a home or buying a car, not even mentioning just saving for retirement. And often spending and budgeting and making that list or tracking it, it's not the most appealing thing to do. It's not like you're day trading or you're investing and you're seeing all these crazy returns. It's actually going through and balancing a checkbook or looking through where your money's actually going. But budgeting is basically a precursor that any investor, any individual is going to have and something that they're going to need to ascertain to make sure they know how much of their income they should be saving or allocating to a resource or how much they can utilize to buy the different knickknacks, so the avocado toast or the coffee. So that's kind of the big thing first. And, and Michael Harness, I know a couple of podcasts back, mentioned a couple of different apps that you can use to track your spending. Um, so I'll use Mint as an example. That's a great resource. It's typically free, depending upon what level package you get with Mint. Um, but that's a way for you to make that type of budgeting and spending almost autonomous. So you just link your account, and then it will allow you to create different spreadsheets, track your budgeting, it'll send you alerts. And it's a way for you to kind of almost do it subconsciously to really get a sense of how much you're spending and where your money's going. So once you kind of have that initial foundation piece set, you want to then start to kind of make the track down the proper savings hierarchy. Um, so the first big piece of that um, before um, we really dive into how money should be allocated is making sure that you have your emergency savings properly aligned. So typically what we'll recommend is three to six months of your typical monthly expenses, always in cash in some form of savings account, just to prepare for any unforeseen uh, emergency. So the typical ones we always see are, you know, car repair, home repair, but even now with this environment with COVID, job loss, or if you're furloughed, if you're laid off, where are you going to uh, generate the cash necessary to pay for something, to pay your rent or pay your mortgage or buy food? So that's something that we really need to make sure that people comprehend and utilize as they set up their financial plan picture. Um, and oftentimes what you'll see people do is never really establish that account. They just take the cash that's coming in and they put it into an investment account or they use it on different luxury items. And then once that cash flow stops, it basically doesn't, it doesn't necessarily stop the cash flow, but it stops the spending flow and what things you can buy. So your avocado toast and your coffee that you might be having basically falls to the wayside automatically. So that's a, a really big piece that we need to make sure that is established for investors and for people long term. Once uh, an individual then has that type of core foundational piece set with their emergency savings, you're then shifting into kind of where your cash flow goes to. And it's a, a two-prong approach. Essentially, once that emergency savings is set up, you'll then want to start taking, starting to tackle your high interest debt. So your high interest debt, I'm not talking about necessarily like a mortgage or anything like that. 
but primarily credit cards. Um, credit cards, the interest rates, depending on the card, can be anywhere from 18 to 22, 24%. And those types of interest rates are basically where you see people get into almost kind of a revolving door and you get trapped because the interest keeps compounding and compounding over and over again. So a big priority for people should be to pay down that high interest debt if possible. A strategy people can also then do is what is known as a snowball effect. It's where you have your cash flow already assigned to, let's say you're paying 500 bucks a month for credit card debt and you've got, uh, let's just say it's a student loan payment you want to get rid of too, that's five or 6%. Instead of, once the credit card is paid off, instead of then taking that 500 bucks and then throwing it towards um, investing or throwing it towards some other luxury item, you take that cash that you're already allocating that you're used to spending on a debt and you then add it into your other high interest debt payment. So your student loan payment basically gets more of an accelerated approach for paying off uh, or paying off faster. And you don't really notice a change in your typical daily cash flow. So that's just, again, snowball effect. It works for people. It's something that subconscious, subconsciously can make sense and doesn't really affect where you're typically spending cash on different items, but it's something to help you pay off debt faster. But the one caveat I will say to this approach that you also want to make sure you're always doing is making sure that you are still saving for retirement if you have an employer plan. So for 401k plans, for 3Bs, anything that's employer-sponsored, typically there's some form of company match or some type of incentive that a company has for you to save. Um, that is a way for you to generate free money. And that is the best kind of money. <laughs> so when you're still paying down this high interest debt, if your company's matching you 3%, you'll still want to at least put in 3% just to make sure you're obtaining that free money. Um, and once your high interest debt's taken care of, got the emergency savings, then you can look at, okay, maybe I increase my 401k contributions or Maybe I look at investing in a Roth IRA or something else, but that's those are kind of the, the precursors that you need to have to really set your financial plan in place. And that way, buying a coffee, uh, a pumpkin spice latte, or the uh, avocado toast isn't something that's going to be a big issue for you. And again, those, just to kind of reiterate, the big pieces will be tracking your spending, making sure you've got the three to six months of expenses saved away in cash paying down the high interest debt. And again, the caveat to that at the same time is also making sure you're taking full advantage of your company match. This is where people start to ask, how much should I be saving for retirement then? And there's not a correct answer for every person. Obviously, everyone's circumstances are different. But a rule of thumb that we always share is 15% of your income saved throughout your working years. And if that sounds like a lot, and maybe you signed up for your 401k and, and you're signed up at 4%, and you think, well, how am I ever going to get to 15%? A few things to keep in mind, that 15% would include anything you're getting from your employer. So if they're matching that 4% with another 4%, you may already be at 8%. Then you just have to think of small increases to get you to 15%. So if you get a pay raise, great time to bump up your 401k. 
maybe you go up a percent or two, and then you don't even notice it in your take-home pay because you just got a pay increase. Some companies make it easy for you because they auto-increase your savings. So they'll send you a little notice. It'll come from your record keeper, and it'll say, as of this certain date, we're going to increase your deferral from where it is now to a higher percentage. And just accept that and let it ride. That's a, a great, really painless way to increase your savings. And if you're older, you know, 15% is great if you start in your 20s. If you're older, if you're into your 30s or 40s, and maybe you haven't done that much yet, plenty of time. You just might have to be even a little more aggressive than the 15%. And I would recommend using your record keeper's resources. So your record keeper is where your money's held in your 401k or 403b. So it might be Fidelity, Empower, um, some of the banks host them. So whoever, wherever your assets are held, I can almost guarantee there's going to be some great tools that you can use to help calculate where you stand with your retirement. And it can help you figure out how much you're going to be at at 65. It can help you figure out when you need to increase. So take advantage of those tools. And then I would say, Nick, too, and you, you talked about this a little bit, um, but this question comes up for me again and again when I talk to people. And they always say, if I have debt, um, you know, what's my priority? And you touched on it a little bit um, about talking about high interest rate um, as well. And so can you give any other guidelines regarding that debt versus retirement savings question? I can, and, and the uh, the gray answer and technically the right answer to this question is it really depends. For a lot of younger people in their careers, the answer is that it has to be both. You can't prioritize. The reason for that being is just because to forego the early years of investing eliminates a large compounding effect of your money over time. So think of it as somebody that's just starting out and they've got a lawsuit and loan debt they want to get rid of. If they don't start saving till the age of 30 for retirement, and let's just say they retire at 65, they only have 35 years of saving compared to 43 or 44. And those additional years are really going to have a big compounding effect. So, and this kind of goes back to what I mentioned before, that when you're looking at kind of the debt versus the saving strategy, um, there's a, a gratification aspect to it where it's you're looking at something that's tangible or not tangible. I tend to see people like paying debt for more than saving for retirement initially because it's an immediate response or immediate update. You pay $500 towards your credit card, you go $500 less, it feels more tangible compared to somebody that's investing, let's say, in a 401k. They put in, let's just say they've got a $5,000 account they're putting in couple hundred bucks here and there, and then they get a 5% return on that. 5% on $5,000 is only going to be around 250 bucks. So in the scheme of things, uh, in the beginning, people think, well, that's nothing. The percentage is fine, but the actual tangible dollar amount doesn't really feel like it has a really big impact. But when you get into your 30s and your 40s and your account is really starting to accumulate. And let's say you've got a $250,000 account and you get a 5% return. That's $12,000. That's real tangible money that people start to really feel. And it's where you feel more of a tangible effect of retirement because it's later on in life and you actually are seeing some of the fruits of your labor, so to speak. But as far as the prioritizing, it really just depends on the type of debt. 
And I think it depends on the person as well. If you're 55 years old and you're looking at, I'm going to retire at 60 and I've got a little bit of debt versus maybe trying to increase my contributions. I mean, at that point, saving a little additional money later on in life, yeah, it can help, but you're about to start tapping right back into that account as opposed to potentially some high interest debt like a credit card, you might be paying off, you know, 12%, 18%, whatever higher interest rate, where it doesn't really, it makes has more of a, a bigger impact for you because you're not carrying that into retirement. So it, it really, um, it really just depends. Um, the other thing I'll throw out there just for people to think about, and this is uh, from a compounding perspective, like I mentioned before, is a rule known as the 710 rule, which basically, if you roughly average around 7% as a return over a 10 year window, you double your account value. And that's without any contributions or company match or anything like that. And going back to that prior example, let's say somebody starts working at 22 um, and doesn't start saving until their early 30s, basically an account theoretically there could have doubled during that window. I know mathematically it may not seem like a lot, but what I'm trying to really kind of illustrate here is that a seven or 10 years can really, really give you a nice accelerator onto the account. And it doesn't take a lot of time to really see a compounding effect of your monies. That's great. That's good information. And I think obviously the message is the goal is to become debt free, but assessing those debts, assessing the interest rates you're paying and what the terms are and prioritizing them is part of that process and then having a plan for it. So once we've gone through, you know, some of these things that you need to do, which we were calling the big picture item. So, you know, if you've got a budget, you've got a plan to pay down debt, you're, you're starting to do that investing for retirement. You've got a plan to get yourself to 15% if that amount works for you. After that, what should people be thinking about as far as spending? You know, is it okay then to go to Starbucks every day? Is that okay? I mean, and, and I'm asking for a friend here um, who's really not me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what's a good perspective on that type of spending? Right, and, and I'll answer this in the perspective of a friend as well. My, my wife and I are both um, <laughs> big Starbucks drinkers. <laughs> but um, ultimately, once you have the foundation set, um, really your financial success is really going to depend on you and you only. You have to own your current financial situation. You have to own your budget. You have to own your cash flow. If you want to drink expensive coffee, then do it. If you want to eat out for lunch every day, do it. But you have to make sure that if it doesn't fit in your budget currently, what cuts or adjustments you can make to meet that lifestyle. Also, you can consider different alternatives um, as far as, okay, maybe I eat out for lunch three days a week as opposed to five, or I do the more expensive coffee on the weekend, and during the week, I brew from home. I mean, there's different adjustments you can make uh, to make it uh, align with your budget, but, but that, that's the key piece is you have to own it, and you have to abide by it. Um, because with financial planning, you can always have the perfect plan in place but if somebody doesn't follow it, then the plan is just words. It's useless. It's theory. It's, it's not something that's um, being put into action. A couple other things that for people, once they get this set up, is make sure that they are conscious of their pay raise and inflation um, consciousness as well. So, Jen, you mentioned before, 
if people get pay raises, having that automatic increase option or something in a place where if you get a 2% pay increase, maintain your same cash flow and you're putting more away for retirement. The other piece of that too is that people tend to spend more when they make more because they feel like they have more disposable income. And as a trap that people can also get into, especially when you're in your earlier years of a professional career, that's when you typically, you typically see the highest paid jumps, but you're progressing professionally, but eventually you're going to start to hit kind of a plateau where the pay raises aren't as significant. And if you keep having that lockstep approach of I've got a new promotion, I'm getting a new car, I'm getting a new house, I'm getting a new jet ski. <laughs> And that's basically that type of mindset can really hurt you once you start to hit that plateau. Um, the other thing I want to also make sure people do is do not be afraid to seek or ask for financial advice. Um, I know that sometimes seems taboo among peers where you've got one coworker that's really into investing and one that's not. Um, and you can't, it, when you're looking at, at financial plans, or if you're talking to the water cooler about the market or anything that's going on financially with you, you can't do a proper comparison because everybody's situation is different. And asking somebody for help, it's a certified financial planner or a, a resource that your company might provide or your record keeper might provide is not taboo. Again, 401ks and retirement plans are very complex vehicles. Um, there's multiple moving parts. Um, they're also parts of the plan that are not often understood and they can change from year to year and over. Therefore, it's really important to make sure that if you don't understand something or if you want to obtain a goal, or if you want to project where you're going to be for retirement, then that's something that you need to make sure you own up to and seek advice for. And ultimately, a check on where you are from a financial wellness perspective. It's almost like uh, going to a doctor. So you go to a doctor, at least traditionally, if you're like myself, you probably haven't been in a couple of years, but typically you go for checkups physicals to make sure that you're healthy and you're checking up on your overall health and wellness. Same thing goes for finance and if your financial wellness. Checking in periodically something or just even doing a projection periodically allows you to basically take your temperature on where you stand from a retirement and a financial wellness perspective. And financial planners like doctors do not expect you to be experts. So I don't want people to have the mindset that if they go to a, a financial planner, just like if they went to a doctor, someone's not going to think that, how can you not understand how this plan works? Like, what have you been doing your entire life? There's, there's never that type of context that a doctor or a financial planner should have um, with, with somebody as, as they review their accounts or review their financial plan. Um, but again, it's the other thing I'll make, want to make sure people do check on. Again, if they, they don't know anybody or if they uh, don't think they need necessarily to reach out to somebody in person like a financial planner, then they can also reach out. There's again, a lot of uh, providers now are providing free resources for uh, plan participants to check up on their financial wellness and uh, again, still use a lot of their projections. Again, it may not be as detailed as you want it to be, as what you would see with a financial planner, but it's still a good resource for people to utilize. That's great advice, absolutely. I refer people to the record keepers all the time. 
they work very hard on helping people not just save for retirement, but figure out some other financial things that affect retirement. And so thank you, Nick. I think you covered really a good perspective on some of the things that we hear and see in the news. Um, Libby, how about you? Do you have any questions for us? I don't think so. I thought this was super thorough. Um, and we, I really love this podcast because I think it brings in different elements of different podcasts that we've done before. So none of these messages are actually new on our podcast. It just is reiterating how they all come together to make sure that you're successful in saving for, I mean, ultimately saving for your needs right now and saving for retirement. So it's cool to see everything that we've learned so far from a financial wellness perspective come together today. Great. Well, thank you for letting us be on, Libby. It's our pleasure. And of course, Nick and I both love to talk about this topic. So, you know, we'll be happy to come back. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> Is that like inviting yourself to dinner? Time. I don't know. <laughs> right. Thank you guys so much for your time. I also like think that the perspective on if you want, you want that coffee, like go ahead and have it. Just make sure you're being smart about your finances is perfect um, because I personally don't want to give up things that make me happy in life. <laughs> For me, that's not coffee. It's other things. But um, uh, sometimes I feel guilty for spending money on things. So this was really good perspective for me to hear that as long as I'm thinking about how it affects my finances, like go ahead and do the things that make you happy. That is a great note to end on. I like that. That's, that's a good life philosophy, I think. Well, thank you guys for being here. I really appreciate it. And we will definitely have you back soon. All right. Thanks, Libby. Awesome. Thanks, Nick. Awesome. Thank you. See you next time. Nothing we say in this podcast is representative of any specific plan and should not be construed as legal, regulatory, or accounting advice. If there is any discrepancy between what we say and your plan document, your plan document will always